My name is Julie Kraft and I have bipolar 2 disorder. I'm Shaylee Hugendorn and I live with bipolar 2 disorder. I was diagnosed 10 years ago at the age of 36. I was told of my diagnosis and I remember being relieved but also terrified. I know um, the perceptions and the stigma that goes along with it. I started sharing my story about four or five years ago. I decided to come forward and start sharing. It's led to me meeting the most amazing people walking the same path. So we had talked about collaborating. My greatest hope is that others will hear our stories and feel less alone. We can offer insight and give the world a real life living example of what bipolar disorder can look like. This is bipolar. This is Bipolar. Welcome back to another episode of This is Bipolar. I am Shaylee Hugendorf. I am a mama, a wife, a teacher, event planner, um, all the things, and, uh, and a fierce mental health advocate. And um, I just believe in storytelling. And that's why Julie and I are here. This is Julie. Yeah, I'm Julie Kraft. I'm also another fierce, passionate mental health advocate, uh, wife, mama, artist, author. Uh, and so yeah, Shaylee and I are just thrilled to be here, um, continuing to share parts of our journey and hopefully help encourage, offer insight. Um, so we have another episode in store for you today. Very yeah, exciting. yeah. Today we are going to talk one of our number one questions or we get messages daily about how to support someone or it's people that love someone with bipolar, whether it be a friend, a parent, a roommate, um, or someone you know. And so we wanted to give our insight, the things that we've learned through our experience and a few things that we've read. Um, we did want to preface this that it is going to be a hard episode for those of us that live with the disorder because it, it it's really hard to know that that affects relationships right and um it's really hard and julie and i will get into it to even um we're so hard on ourselves that when we know that we're affecting other people it makes that internal voice that much meaner so if um you feel at any time always always take care of yourself first if you have to go away and come back if this episode is too hard for you um we hope to to see you in the next one but we really wanted to um try and give insight for those that love people with bipolar disorder because the messages we get are from people that desperately want to understand or um, maybe support um, someone in getting help etc cetera, etc cetera. and so um, yeah we're here to tell you from our point of view what is helpful and what you can do and what you can't do for someone um, living with bipolar disorder. This also goes for, because we experience uh, depression and anxiety, we know so many mental illnesses overlap. And so this is going to be, we believe this is gonna be helpful for anybody that lives with someone that's neurodiverse or someone with, um, with a mental illness. So take care of yourself. And as per usual, here we go on our wild ride. I know for Julie and I, it's the, there's um, such a level of, of guilt and shame and embarrassment. Um, and yeah, and so know that 
chances are your person already feels so, so terrible. So we're, yeah, it's going to be a hard episode because we don't want to like stigmatize or villainize like us that live with it, but we also want to recognize how hard it is. So I think, uh, yeah, that's where, that's where we're at. And we've been, you know, chatting beforehand and, you know, is, uh, is this going to be okay? We want to take care of these people and these people. And so then we're just like, just press record. We are not professionals, but uh, you know, we have a lot of experience in our, in our, you know, how long we've lived with it. We both are in our forties. And so take with it what you what you will and also um keep in mind that it's as per usual it's our experience it could be very different for other people so let's jump right in um julie some of the messages that we get um maybe let's start with the the hardest one yeah Um, some of the messages that we get is how can i make my partner, roommate, friend, sister, uh, um, get help. We know there's help. We know they need help. Yeah. We've, we've researched bipolar. We think they might have a mood disorder and, um, what do we do? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so what are your first thoughts about that? My first, um, you know, piece of advice or insight that I can give. And it's coming from my own experience because um, I was not diagnosed until 36. And so my husband and I um, spent over a decade, you know, living with my undiagnosed mental health struggle. And so he has now admitted to me that he desperately knew, you know, that I was off balance, that I needed help. I wasn't coping. Um, You know, even being a mom was overwhelming. And so he was walking that fine line and tiptoeing on eggshells. It's a very helpless, hopeless, exhausting, frustrating place to be as someone living alongside, knowing that if that person just took that step, got help, um, you know, got the proper treatment, you know, their lives and the relationship would be so much better off. So I think just take that pressure off by knowing um, there's only so much you can do if someone else is resisting treatment or has their, you know, they're not ready to get help. Um, The other thing is it actually was an ultimatum on the part of my husband. And I know that does not work for everyone. It worked for me. And it was because I knew you know, I just assumed that my husband was going to put up with my behavior. You know, I was lashing out behind closed doors. Um, It was really affecting him and our kids. And he did say, if you do not get help, seek help, um, our marriage most likely won't last. And I'll have to take the kids and remove them from the situation. That was that, whoa, this is serious. If I don't step out and get help, um, you know, I might lose it all. And so in that moment, I'll just be brutally honest. I did not want to get help. If it was up to me, if I was a single person, I don't know if I ever would have reached out for help. But for me, that ultimatum, um, that's what worked for me to take that next step and agree to go and get help. Sometimes we don't want to take that step for ourselves. But sometimes we need to do it for the people, the people around us. You know, a lot of times people living alongside, they're so scared to give an ultimatum or to set a a boundary or, you know, be firm with their partner or their friend. Um, But I think it's more than okay to set a boundary. 
and say, you know, I love you. I care for you deeply, but this is what I can and can't handle, or this is what I am willing to put up with in terms of how you treat me. And mm, of course, it's always hard when you're the person on the other side of boundaries being set. Uh, you know, your gut reaction is to sometimes lash back out or get defensive. But I, I would just say, you know, do what you need to do to take care of yourself. I wish there was a piece of advice that I could say, say this and your loved one will absolutely yes. drive their car to the doctor. But Shaylee, do you have any more thoughts on that? Because yeah. I know you get just as many messages and they're, they can be so desperate mm -hmm. at times. And so what are some of the responses that you're able to give back? Yeah, yeah. The first thing I wanted to, to say too is because I know that um, we suffer in silence a lot, a lot of the time, but also I want to recognize if you're someone that loves someone with bipolar um, and or uh, a mental illness that... Uh, it can be very lonely because one, you don't want to out your person because of the, the shame and the stigma, right? Or the backlash that might happen. But also, you know, you might have, I mean, we live in a society that doesn't look upon it kindly. And um, you're also living in a lot of loneliness and a lot of silence. So I just wanted to honor that. Yeah. And I just wanted to say that, um, you know, we see you and we hear you and chances are your person, you know, at some point um, will hear you or will know, um, yeah, that this, that this does, does hurt and that it is lonely and scary and can be awful. At the same time, I don't want to stigmatize us in saying yeah. like, oh, you know, there's no hope. Like I see things, even when I was Googling to look for a little bit, like there's no hope, run, get out of here. Yeah. But, um, you know, bipolar is incurable and it's lifelong, but it is treatable. Yeah. And so I wanted to say that before I answered your question. So what you were saying, yes, ultimatum. So I don't know if that would have worked for me because I am feisty and I am, and I deal with, um, untreated a lot of anger still do but very um very different then and very fiery um because we like julie and i are both speaking to experiences when we're talking about our romantic partners is we both have yeah. husbands so that's a little bit different but the, a lot of this will apply to platonic relationships as well um but i think it just it depends and it depends where you're at i mean julie right you were saying you were 10 years or ish into your marriage yeah. Um, same, 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 right? We both got diagnosed actually pretty late. And I think yeah. we were just saying like, it shows that the stigma is lowering that people are getting help that much earlier. We're so excited that yeah. a lot of messages we get are people like in their young twenties and in there, as much as we are so sad that they have to deal with it, the fact that they've gotten help, I, I definitely get stuck in a loop of the what if and what would yeah. my life look like and how, you know, much less trauma I would have with not having to live undiagnosed that long. Yeah. That being said, um, what you said about uh, the ultimatum, I would obviously, Julie's talking about a whole bunch of time, right? They yeah. have a very established relationship, a commitment, that kind of, that kind of thing. So she knew, knew that, uh, you know, that this, that this person loved them. I think before you did that, if you're not in that position or not a, a parent or a family member, I think that works for really, really close 
family yeah. members too. But I think you feel out your situation, but that that worked for you. Um, but I think starting off is the whole loving, right? And yeah. then knowing that they're they're safe with you and knowing all yeah. of those things and also the boundary setting. Because if I don't trust you or feel safe, um, I actually take uh, boundaries are devastating for me. Even though I preach, make them, I, when people make them with me, I take it so personally, like there's something and depending on the boundary, but something that's with my closest people, yeah. right? Because there is, and it, it actually, if I'm brutally honest, it came up in my therapy recently because, you know, relationships morph and change. And, um, you know, someone in my life set a boundary with, with me about um, how I talk to them when I'm manic. And I... I really struggle with that because there's years and years and years of this pattern. And it's so difficult for me to sort thoughts. And because I, uh, it's painful for me to feel like I don't get them out. Um, but my therapist was saying, I was like, well, they're right. And how terrible am I? And, and she said, she's like, let's take time, um, you know, to mourn that you feel like, like not accepted anymore right? And that's not the case. The person was doing that out of love, but yeah, it, it be ready for, for strong reactions. But if you love them, stick around because sometimes we need the time, right? And the hindsight. So if you set that ultimatum and if we're manic or um, so depressed, we can't get out of bed, it, there will be a different reaction and it might take time. And if you can, because we get times of stability, if you can wait it out to uh, a more stable time, yes. I think you would probably get a more reasonable, a reasonable reaction. We feel things so deeply and oh. we are so sensitive that I think it's so important for those living, you know, around us, whether it is a romantic partner or a friend, just for them to be aware that any boundary, any criticism of any form, sometimes any feedback, we can take it to heart so deeply that often it does cause either us to back away, um, you know, put a wall up, um, get defensive and all those things. So just approach your friend or your loved one when you know they're in a more stable or calm place. Just know it's going to go a lot better. Your chances of, you know, mm -hmm. Getting through to them or or helping them to understand your point of view, chances skyrocket when we're in yeah. you know a more stable place. Yeah, and we understand like if it's Julie and I both come from uh, you know a bipolar two diagnosis, so it's hypomania, and a lot of times you get messages where it's in the height of mania, and you might have to set a boundary because there are untreated, there are there's such impulsivity. And, um, you know, can be unkindness and things that are unmanageable. And please feel like, know that sometimes love is stepping back and taking and taking care of yourself. Because also, um, you know, you're, it's a disservice to the person that you love, because they're less, like, it's harder to change the pattern. If yeah. you don't really know and see see someone else's heart. And I think, like Julie said, we started off with a bang, but I think we just needed people to know. So they weren't holding on to, you know, that the formula, but um, yeah. it's, it's the hardest thing, but you can't, 
uh, change someone. And even if like Julie went just for her husband, but if she didn't claim that um, treatment plan or claim her diagnosis, and it might take a while, um, and, and be willing to, to do that. Um, just your partner, friend, loved one, just going for help for you. Isn't going to be enough. It might start the ball ball rolling, but isn't going to be enough, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Julie, what can you think of? And we didn't talk about this. I'm going to throw it at you though. Can you think of, um, an example of a boundary? Cause people might be like, yeah, you're telling us to set a boundary, but what's, uh, a reasonable boundary because I yeah. found some of the ones given to me are like you can't do like you can't do this in this kind of episode when it literally feels impossible and so yeah. I just want to give up do you can you think uh, of yeah boundaries sure. you could start with the biggest boundary my husband has set is just in the way that I treat him so whether it's the way I speak to him um, but if it's heated and I'm lashing out or being I can be really nasty. Yes, we all have that, that side yeah. of us. But the boundary he sets is he will remove himself from the situation, which makes me livid. But now I realize he has every right to say, I need to step away and just remove myself. And when I hear the car go, I am upset, angry, embarrassed, but how on earth could I expect him to stay there, you know, and take it? Sometimes I. I want to engage. I want to fight. I want a good fight. And I, I don't know if it's me wanting to see him kind of lose it or yell. He's a very calm and stable man. I'm very, very fortunate um, to have him. But, you know, oftentimes I think we self-stigmatize and I feel so, I felt in moments so out of control and nasty and ugly that Mm. I don't know if, you know, subconsciously I'm trying to push him to that limit to make myself feel better but he'll just say, I refuse to engage. There are so many other examples of boundaries, but I don't know in, in your relationship, mm. people have either ever set boundaries and it's gone mm-hmm. well or not so well in my, as it was in my case. Yeah. Yeah. I think too. Um, yeah. You're, you're speaking post-diagnosis too. So I think, I uh, think it's going to be hard for us to speak to, and I, I think we'll get other guests on or a panel, but hard to speak to the type of boundaries pre, because uh, it's been a while because yeah. we're in our 40s, yeah. but yeah. I think even then, right, modeling um, healthy communication, yeah. right? Um, yeah. And I think too, like same with the driving, I'd be like, I, I would threaten in the beginning, like leaving or, or those kind of things, because I'm that desperate. And I wanted people to understand two things. One, if I don't like what you said, you knew you have, you knew he would come back. I think if you're going to leave the room, I think if you're going to do that, maybe also say, I'm going to come back. We will talk about this again, but I need this. And I think it's really powerful because before, uh, you know, I went on the healing journey that's lifelong. Um, You're so in the moment, you don't, and you're so impulsive, you actually don't know what you need. And I can barely verbalize what I need. And so also too, like you were saying, I could even see it in in your face, the embarrassment or, or whatever. And you're like, Oh, I'm feisty, which we are. But also, I think one of the things that was so freeing to me and to explain 
um, to, to my husband and to my mom or other people that I'm the hardest on is that it's so intertwined, right? Like, yes, it, because it actually is the intensity of the anger and how fast it comes on and the physical response actually aren't our fault, which is hard to say because yeah. you also can't on the other side, which we're going to talk about in another episode, you can't use that, right? You still, it's not fair to do horrible things when yeah. you're that angry. But I also want to recognize even now, even medicated, even after years and years and years, being the advocate, right? Yeah. Knowing yeah. all the things I can go from zero to furious. And if you can kind of, um, if it's, if it's in you and doesn't completely trigger you and you've gone away and come back, if you can look through it, like my husband talks about his Shaley glasses or a lens, he tries to put that extra protective lens on, just like you said, of like, this is the, you know, the intensity of this is the bipolar anger. Does that mean, because sometimes that doesn't take away the thing sometimes that I'm upset about, right? It doesn't take away that as a problem that we might have. Um, and, but, it, you know, just putting on that, the grace lens or the seeing it through that it's that much harder. Cause sometimes when you're in your own self, you think I'd never talk to her like that when I'm mad, but yeah. also you have that, uh, Ill, like not having an illness barrier. Right. Yeah. And so it's this really, really hard dance. And that's where I think what would be my next point is you are going to need support, even if we don't want you to get it. Yeah. Right. You are going to need support. You can't tell us to go to counseling and all those things. And that you're like, it's a lot to take. Bipolar people doesn't mean that we're not awesome, but it is a lot to take. (laughs) Think about how deeply we feel the emotions and then we spew it onto to someone else, right? Sometimes for things that don't even matter, sometimes for things that are deep, deep seated things. So one of my uh, things and one of my favorite is Glennon Doyle. She she talks about putting on her perspectacles. So spectacles and perspective is trying to see us through that lens. When those harsh words are maybe spoken at you, just remember, you know, that there is mental illness or mental health struggle. And you know, sometimes I, in my life, am so frazzled, or I have so much anxiety on a daily basis, or I'm, you know, in a deep depression, that it is everything I can do to just get through the day. And so when I lash out at my husband, it has oftentimes nothing to do with him. It has everything to do with just how exhausted I am, or how frustrated I am. And, you know, oftentimes the people we love the most get our worst because we wouldn't dare think of treating, you know, the grocery store cashier in the way that we might talk to our husband in the privacy of our own home. You know, so many times I've uttered just really harsh things at my husband and then gone back later and just said, you know, it wasn't you. Of course, I love you dearly. I was just upset or frustrated about this. And I think that's what's so tricky for people living alongside. Um, Unless you have had depression or anxiety, it is so hard to understand and put yourself in our brains and just understand the level of frustration or exhaustion Mm -hmm. that we sometimes have. Yeah. And what I think um, I've tried to do, because we also know people possibly in our lives, right, that struggle with mental illness and, and, um, 
when putting on the goggles or whatever, I try to think about, and I've asked my husband to do this too, is try and think about um, maybe, um, and I don't want to trigger anybody that has, uh, you know, has had cancer or does have cancer, but I'm trying to find some way to explain it. And you would not, if someone was short, when they might be having a, a symptom like nausea or this, uh, uh, you know, or you're watching them hobble or, or around because they have a broken leg or, you know, cause it's hard to walk, yeah. try and picture it like that. It doesn't look like that because we look perfectly fine on yeah. the outside, except for maybe a red face or whatever. <laughs> try and look at it like that because we've been so conditioned for it to be like a character flaw. And if you can see it like that, which is so hard to be compassionate to someone when they're attacking you and angry or telling you that their life is terrible and you're thinking, well, what does that say about me as a friend, mom, or, or, or whatever, if you can try and think of it that way, try and think about an illness that you would have compassion about. It's really hard for both, both sides. And so. Yeah, yeah, you were going to say something else. Yeah, and then jumping to, you know, put your oxygen mask on first. As someone living alongside, you must seek support. There is so much shame and stigma um, surrounding mental health. And so if you are living alongside someone, and yes, Shaylee talked about how lonely and isolating it can be, it is worth it and it is okay to reach out to a trusted person. Now I would be, of course, very careful about who you share, you know, your story with. And, you know, I was terrified that my husband was going to share with people and I was going to be judged. He was going to be judged. I did not want him to talk to my in-laws. I just, oh, the thought of them finding out, you know, what we were dealing with behind closed doors just was devastating to me. But I now realized, you know, he needed to reach out and get support. So then in turn, he could be, um, you know, strong enough to support me in my weaker moments. And that's really, really, really tough. But yes, I'll go back and say that not everyone deserves to get every part of your story. Not everyone is safe. So I would just encourage you if you have a trusted friend or family member that you can open up to and share with. Um, It just makes it so much easier. And then during those darker, um, more difficult times, you know, it just helps to know that someone else knows what you're going through. Mm -hmm. It can make all the difference. If it's still sensitive and in the beginning, Julie talked about a trusted friend or whatever, you can, I would suggest, you know, before even doing that, if your person is so devastated and still trying to figure things out, therapy, 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 and, or there's so many groups online now of people that wouldn't know you, right? Like support groups. I think of one specifically that I tell a lot of people about in messages is uh, Julie Fast has, I think it's called the stable table. It's in uh, a Facebook. And just like our biggest thing is messages that we get and how we feel is heard and you know connect with other people that understand and know that you're not alone you know that's what people that love other people probably need to right I remember my husband telling me one time um, because he was in one of those groups and I think it was a struggling time and Oh, I had a hard time listening to it, but he was saying that it was really good because the person was, 
um, told him to remind, remember the good times or write down the things yeah. that you love about them. So when it's yes. ugly and messy, that you remember that that's not fully them. And so, but, but yeah, at first, you know, maybe, especially because when it's a, you know, a parent relationship or a friend relationship, if you talk to someone in the friend group, like outing your person isn't like, it's a, it's a hard line. Right. And maybe stick to your story. Like, um, yeah, yeah telling someone else's complete story, uh, within a place where it isn't really safe and protected it is hard to right and it took julie and i years yeah right? if, if like julie tells a story about tell about your finding out as i mentioned earlier i had forbidden my husband to reach out for help in any way shape or form and i did saunter into his office and his screen was open he had an anonymous name but he was in a bipolar spouse support group and i just flew off the handle. And I think it was just because it was all me focused. I just, I took it as an attack on me. I took it as he had betrayed me. You touched on some other fantastic points. I think it is so important as someone living alongside to reassure us and let us yes. know, you know, whether you, if you are giving us an itty bitty ultimatum or setting some boundaries, it helps so much more if that's backed up with, um, I love you so much. I care so much about you. And I am going to walk this journey with you because there can be that fear of stepping out, getting help, getting a diagnosis. And then the fear of that person saying, whoa, bipolar, I'm out of here. Like I can't stick around for that. So if we feel that safety and security um, it might also make us willing to make that next step. I wanted to speak to the part that you said um, about reassurance. Yeah. And so I know that many people feel this, but I'll speak to, to my experience. But some of the intrusive thoughts that I get, so for those of you who don't know, they're almost, and they kind of borderline with um, obsessive thoughts. And we mean that in the clinical way, not in the society uses the mental health term for personality trait weight. Um, where it's you're stuck and it's like on a loop or like if you're old school a mixtape if you're new yeah. <laughs> if you're young maybe your spotify is stuck on one song but it's this um it takes over completely and a lot of times i think i'm not worthy or um you know, the people are going to leave me. I have a big one with that. It's so hard. And even when I know it's not true, my brain tells me. So, um, oh, uh, another one is in friendships that I'm a burden and because it's lifelong, like sometimes we're used to our friends or family coming to us, you know, when there's a life event happening, right? What's wrong? What yeah. made you feel this way? Nothing right? It might not be any external thing. It's my yeah. body. And so um, just being able, I just feel, I feel annoying. I feel, and because it's a cycle, I come back to it. I'm saying the same things. And I think they must be like, oh my gosh, blah, blah. and they might be in private, who knows? But um, if someone, you know, if you love them and you're in for the long haul, or if you're related to them and you don't have a choice, um, exactly. you know, reassure, re, you know, reassure. And I have friends now where I can say um, the story I'm telling myself, because sometimes people can get annoyed or offended. Like I've told you, I married you. Like, of course, yeah. but we actually need to hear it to combat the thought 
right? And um, yeah, and just over and over. And the words do matter. You might think, oh, it's not working. But remember, it's going to keep happening to us. So uh, it isn't like a pill that you take like an antibiotic and then it's gone, right? We need those reassurance of the words. And just like we're repeating things, don't feel like you always have to find different ways to say it, saying the same thing over and over. And I felt so silly when, um, you know, when I asked friends what I'm struggling or my husband or, you know, my mom, like telling me I'm safe or whatever. And I'm like, oh, that's ridiculous. Of course I'm safe. Like, oh, what a loser. You don't think you're safe. Like you're fine. <laughs> but um, I noticed like, try and know, watch their body. Like my shoulders kind of relaxed. Does it fix everything? Am I nice? Am I miraculous? Not always. But, you know, because our bodies react like we are in danger. Yeah. Right. Like we are walking into uh, running from a burning building. That's what it, it feels like. And or and that's how physically like we're always trying to do the mind body. It isn't just because it's called a mental illness. People think it's all in your head. It's all the research is showing like it's you feel it in your body and all with your nervous system and saying like you are safe okay. or um, yeah. Can, you know, can I give you a hug? That's not always a good thing or something, something to kind of regulate um, their nervous system, but find the things. And I think that will lead to one of our next points. Um, I'll start and then I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll throw it over to you. Um, the idea of finding out what works for the person because everybody's different. Like someone might be like, think that's condescending, right? Or someone, and because uh, um, bipolar is a cyclical thing, and I know sometimes it might have to wait for a really long time for them to get out of a depressive or hypomanic or manic episode. So you might not be able to wait entirely, but if um, you can at all possible, you know, dive into talking about it. Sometimes I think people think if you talk about it, that you're going to you know, afraid to bring it up that it's going to, uh, you know, put you into, into a cycle, but it think it's important when you're stable or having, you know, having a, a better day, or can we put aside time to talk about this? You know, can you emotionally prepare yourself or do your nervous system calming, um, and try and figure out because our brains work so fast. Sometimes we don't stop and think, figure out the things that actually do work or try them and be like, no, that doesn't work. Because some things work when I'm depressed that set me off when I'm manic, right? So you try and find those things when we're more open and willing to talk about it um, so that you can refer back to those things because they're very... Um, very different, kind of like the example I give about the really loud music or like having some chaos outside of me um, instead of the Zen, right? Doesn't always work for me. Sometimes I need my outer world for 10 minutes to be as chaotic as my inner world. So they match and then I can calm down, which most people that I've talked to, you know, I've talked to something that's the same, which makes me feel better. But I think what a weirdo, but that works for me in certain situations. So yeah, I'll throw it over to you talking about that. You hit the nail on the head, communication, communication, communication. Um, You know, just, just asking when we're in a more stable, calmer place, you know, what, what should I do? You know, what is the best thing to say? And I love nothing more than to talk about my disorder when people actually ask me questions tell me what it's like to live inside your brain you know 
okay, driving is hard for you. Explain that to me. And so any chance I can get to give insight and offer, you know, a glimpse into my mind, um, I take it. So yes, like you had mentioned, don't be afraid to go there and talk to us because I mean, we're living it. We're, you know, it's our daily experience. So I really appreciate that. So there's a little tip. And there was one other tip. Oh, just a few more um, actual examples from my marriage. At some point in your relationship or friendship, you, you can't keep score. And there are going to be times you as someone living alongside is going to be giving more. And of course, there will be seasons where you will get more. But if you can sort of, as hard as it might be, um, not keep score. And then one other tidbit, sometimes when I am so upset and frustrated and not being a nice person, um, it's probably everything my husband wants to do is to get out of there, take off. But sometimes the most effective thing, and I know this would be so hard, is he comes over quietly and he reassures me and gives me, you had talked about a hug, gives me a hug. And sometimes that is the most effective thing because I'm either geared up for a fight or I'm fully expecting him, you know, to leave me. And there's something about that for me that just diffuses it all. And oftentimes I will completely break down and it will lead to some of our hardest conversations, but some of our most vulnerable and powerful conversations. Now it doesn't always work that way. No, and I'll tell you about me. Yeah. (laughs) That, so it's interesting how we're so different. And that's why we talk about figuring out that would piss me off because (laughs) I'm just being honest here because I would feel like it was because I don't like to be told that I like, it's like, I'm weak, but in some situations it would, right? Like probably in depression. And I think maybe we'll switch gears to talk more about that. Julie and I talk a lot more about mania because with our medication, we experience depression less. So sometimes we talk heavy on that. So we're going to try and dig deep and think back to that. But, um, but the asking, can I, so then I think about it and I'm like, do I want it? And then if I do, yes. But um, like, but for Julie, like you can always try if they're, prickly and they don't then you won't but some people asking it's that whole it's that whole figuring out thing like anger is a second there's always a secondary emotion right and so to find to try and find out what's behind it with the person like you said and so some you can find certain language and if you use it every time even though it might seem condescending or weird um it actually triggers a part of your brain to be able to retrieve stuff so my big one is the story i'm telling myself so if people ask me you know what's the story that you're telling uh, you know, uh, yourself or what's behind the anger, what feelings are you also feeling? Or, you know, sometimes being able to recognize it in my body, or like, I notice you're getting, you know, that you're getting really worked up or warm, or can I offer you if I look like, can I offer you a blanket? Or, you know, should we go outside, like try and notice you can, when you spend that much time with someone, you can notice their physical and I tense up and I, my hands, I could tell when I'm talking are a little bit more like this and being able to recognize those body cues. And, yeah. you know, without saying, you are you know, like, I think you need to be outside to calm down. No. And in fact, there's words that we've nixed, like chill yeah. out or calm down. Those are trigger words. And I tell my kids, we don't use them. We just don't use them because when in the history of ever, does someone, oh, okay. Like, no, no. And we don't. do have uh, 
two entire episodes that dive deeper into this words that hurt and words that help. So if you're watching and you're like, yes, this is helpful, but I need even more tips. Definitely go back and check out those other episodes because we dive right into, you know, specific things, you know, sure. Things that you can say and things that you should never say. (laughs) Yeah. And if you start off like that, instead of in an accusatory way um, with each other, with whoever you're talking to, like the story I'm telling myself is, and it might be true. Like the story I'm telling myself is that you're really mad at me because you think my choice was terrible and that I totally suck right but then instead of saying you think I suck right it it, it kind of sets a tone a little bit so I, I use I use that a lot you know relationships are hard and messy no matter what and that's the other thing I think we always think because we have bipolar disorder you know there's this stigma that we're not capable of having healthy long-term relationships and I just think relationships period to make any relationship or friendship successful is work. Mm -hmm. You know, the other thing too, I mean, I've been married 26 years. And if I took my not so great moments, my ugliest, messiest moments, they only account for a small blip in there. That's not to say they don't have long-term effects or have led to some deep hurt and heartache. But I think oftentimes we're just so focused on those, those more Mm -hmm. challenging kinds that we forget the bigger picture and that you know, on the whole, our marriages or our friendships are amazing. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning into part one of this episode. For all those living and loving alongside, how to support your loved ones dealing with a mental health struggle, stay tuned. Um, part two will be out soon. Thanks again for watching. Thank you so much for joining us today on this episode. You can find previous as well as future episodes on YouTube for the video version. You can find the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Podbean. And we spend most of our time where you can join our community and interact on Instagram at this.his.bipolar. It is so helpful if you enjoy our work or think it would be helpful to someone if you could like and share and save and follow us in all or any of those spaces. Another thing that's really, really helpful if you're a listener for the podcast, if you could leave a review, we would be forever grateful. Again, thank you for being here with us. Let's get the word out. Let's share lived experiences so that we can change the ideas that people have about bipolar and help those of us that live with it feel less alone. See you next time.